0: Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Centre podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my... You will be my... You will be my... You will be my, come on, you'll be my in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today I want to talk about witness. That's good, isn't it? Talk about witness. We all witness, every single one of us. We have a witness. I want to talk about the power of our witness today. Let me begin by asking you a question. When people witness your life, when they witness my life, do they ask, What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you've got? What must I do to live the life that you have? Is that the question that people would ask when they witness your life? Is that the question that people would ask when they witness my life? See, our witness is powerful. When they witness my life, do they see, is my life defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness? Is that what defines my life? Is that what defines your life? See, there's power in our witness. Or does my witness say, get people to ask, oh, gee, what must I do to stay away? When people witness my life, do they go, oh, I don't want what he's got. In fact, I don't want to go near where he is. Like our witness has power. We have the witness that can... People would ask, what must I do to be saved? Or we have a witness where people might say, what must I do to stay away? I don't know about you, but I don't want my witness to be one where people say, what must I do to stay away? Is that you this morning? Do you want to be that type of person that when people witness your life, they're going, I don't want to be near you. I want to stay away from you. Why would I have what you've got? Because all you are is grumpy. All you are is judgmental. All you are is frustrated, angry, and bitter, and full of offense. Is that the type of life that you want to live? Is that the type of witness that you want to be? I don't. I want to be this person that when people see my life, they would ask, what must I do to be saved? Can I have a show of hands who who would like to have a witness like that? What must I do to be saved? What do I mean by that? I mean, for Christian, we, sometimes we can use some christian terminology and people don't really understand what that means. You better start that clock because I'll go on for hours. Isn't that right, Mark? What must I do to be saved? I want my life to look like that. I want when people see me, they say, John, what have you got? Why is it that when you're facing a really difficult circumstance or things are going wrong in your life, why is it that you, you, you seem to have this joy, this peace? You're patient. You're kind. You're good. You're faithful. That's the type of life I want to live. That's the, the witness that I want, to, I want people to see in my life. I don't want people to say, well, I don't want to be near him. Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask the people that are closest to you, your brother, your children, your wife, your husband, your boss, when they look at you, are they saying, what must I do to be saved? Or are they saying, what must I do to stay away? Helen would know that sometimes there have been little, just little, very tiny moments where Helen might just go, what must I do to stay away from John? Any wives, husbands, being there? Yeah? But that's not the witness that I want to give out, the witness that I want to be. See, the Bible says in Galatians 5.22, this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Hmm. How are you going with that? How are you going with that? Eh? Huh? I struggle. I struggle to be patient at times. Yes, Helen? Peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I can do it when I'm up on the stage. I can do it when things are going well. But what about when I face life's challenges, when people challenge me, when people hurt me, when people say things to me that hurt me? When I get discouraged, what's my witness then? Is it still a powerful witness? Is it still a witness that says, what must I do to be saved? To be saved, to be a follower of Christ. We have these Christian-y terms and we say to be saved, but for somebody that walks in the door that doesn't know Christ, they might be saying, what the heck is he talking about to be saved? Saved from what? Let me just clarify what I mean by being saved. See, you would be aware that we have the Bible and we happen to believe in the Bible, this church, yeah? And in the Bible, it tells us right at the very beginning that God, God had created man and he'd created woman, he created the garden, and there were these two people walking in the garden, and they were very happy and they had everything that they need. They was, the climate was so good, they could be naked, amen, you know, like it was just good. In the cool of the evening, they would be talking to God, they had perfect relationship with God, everything was great, they wanted for nothing, and we know the story, Adam, uh, sorry, Eve and Adam did the wrong thing and it broke that relationship with God. Sin entered the world. We're born into sin. Every single one of us is born into sin. When we're born, we're born into sin. We cannot avoid it. It's just who we are. We're born into sin because of Adam. But God had a plan. So that that relationship that was broken, see the consequence of sin is death. So that the relationship that we had with God way back when Adam and Eve were walking in the garden was broken. But praise God, God had a better plan, amen. And that plan was to send his son to die so that we, the sinner, could have a right relationship with God again. Amen. And the great thing about this this thing of being saved is that it's not by works but by faith. It's not anything I do, it's not anything you do. It's not going to church that makes you a Christian. You go to church because you are a Christian. Praying doesn't make you a Christian, you pray because you are a Christian. And so this relationship was restored when by faith, when we believe that we're a sinner. We repent. We say, I'm sorry, God. I need you. I need a savior. I know that I don't measure up. I know that I can never measure up. But I believe that you sent, God, you sent your son to die so that my sin from yesterday, my sin from today, and my sin for tomorrow will be taken away by the blood of Jesus Today, if you're a Christian, you can know without doubt that you stand before God's throne faultless. And it's not because you've been good, it's because you've believed. You believe that you're a sinner in need of a Saviour, and that Saviour was Jesus. So when I say being saved, do you get the picture? Is it clear? To be saved means that you're a Christian. But the dust doesn't stop there. Jesus tells us that we are to be His. Now you can stop there if you like. Oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian now. I don't have to do anything more. And you'll be going to heaven. But God's got so much more for you. He wants you to live heaven here on earth as, as well as experiencing heaven in eternity. Does that mean then that we're going to live a life here where nothing goes wrong and we're not challenged and life's difficult? Absolutely not. But it does mean that we have God with us no matter what. It means that we can live this life knowing who we are in Christ, knowing our identity. We can walk around proudly knowing that we're children of God and it doesn't matter what the world would say about us, that I've got a big nose or I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm thin, I'm black, I'm white, I'm pink, I'm blue. That doesn't matter. I'm a failure, I'm hopeless. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God th- thinks about you, and He thinks and knows that you're a child of God because you've been saved by faith, not by works. Oh, this is good, church. This is good, church. It's good, Helen, isn't it? Yes, dear. I love the story in Acts sixteen, twenty two to thirty one. Paul's one of my favourite characters in the Bible. I know I've used this example before, but to me it just paints such a great illustration of what, how powerful your witness can be. And this example that Paul has given us is a, is a great example of what, what a witness can be, even when circumstances are hard and difficult, even when you've been mistreated poorly, even when things are really dark, you can still sing hymns and pray to God. That was Paul's witness. See, when Paul, you know the story Paul and Silas were going on their way to prayer. They did this every day and on their way to to the, the place of prayer, this girl would come up from behind them and she'd shout out to them this. These men are servants of the highest God and they come to tell you how to be saved. Well, Paul got a bit distracted by this. He got a bit fed up. So one day he turned to her and says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her and instantly it left her. So this this girl that kept following Paul, he turned around, prayed for her and said, in the name of Jesus, demon, get out. And the demon was gone instantly like that. Do you know we have that same authority? We can do exactly the same as Paul did. You know, the devil has no power over you. Don't believe the lie. The only power that the devil has over you is the power that you give him. We are on the side of victory. When Christ died, he disarmed the spiritual powers and authority. Now, I'm putting to aside. There is there is mental illness. There is no doubt there is mental illness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are like me and like you, that are Christians, that we're born again, we believe we're a sinner, that we believe that we're saved, and that we have Christ in us, and we have the Holy Spirit. We have that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in us, so that when we talk, talk to people and we say, in the name of Jesus, we know and can know with confidence that that will be dealt with. So don't tell me the devil made you do it, because he can't. It's only what you allow him to let you do. So t- Paul turned to this girl and said, "I command you in the name of Jesus to come out," and she came out. This obviously upset her master. Did I say that wrong? What did I say? She came out. It came out. Sorry. I did a really good job of blessing the fleet yesterday. Did I tell you this? Thanks to my sister-in-law, I know what I said. <laughs> She said to me later, do you know what you said? I said, no, didn't I bless the fleet? And I, said, I started off and I said, welcome to Bowen Christian Classic. <laughs> I'm glad I spoke that over the whole of the classic. <laughs> so if you're looking for perfection in your past, you ain't got it. I'm sorry. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say words that are wrong. But you know, it's not about that. Thank God. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise, so there's hope for every single one of you and me. Amen? It's not about a polished performance. It's about what Christ is doing in us. Let's pick it up. In Acts 16, 22 to 31, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to ordered them stripped and beaten with rod and rods. They were severely, what were they? They were severely beaten and they were thrown into a prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. Where did he put them? In, not just any ordinary dungeon. Where did he put them? In a dungeon. And their feet in stocks, chains. They were chained in an inner, inner dungeon. I read an article a little while ago about the poor prison. The, the prison that Paul was in. And the prisons of that day. Now, the prisons of that day are nothing like the prisons of this day. Now, to be in the inner dungeon, it must have been pretty dark, pretty smelly, and pretty uncomfortable. There were no showers. There were no toilets. There was nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're in the same room as where you go to the toilet, it's not very nice. Put on top of that, there's probably no light. Put on top of that, they're chained to the wall. Not a very good place to be. But this is where Paul and Silas were. Around midnight, this is, what, this is the power of a witness. And this is what Paul and Silas did. Oh, you've started the clock. This is what Paul and Silas did at midnight. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. How are you going with that? When you're facing a difficult circumstance, when you're being treated poorly, when things aren't going well, when you're in that dark place, when you feel like you've been chained up and bound up, when people have beaten you, maybe not literally but verbally, when people have done the wrong thing by you, what's your witness? Stripped, stripped, naked, beaten severely, thrown into an inner prison. They started to sing hymns and pray to God. Acts 16, picking up at verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the likes, ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs. What must I do to be saved? And listen to their reply. Believe. See? Believe. That's all we've got to do. What must I do to be saved? Believe. That believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There it is. Do you see the power of your witness? It can cause other people to ask, "What must I do to be saved?" I don't know about you, but if, if, if I was in prison in this dark,, dingy place and chained to a wall and stinking and a horrible place to be, and the prison, there was an earthquake and the prison doors flew open, the first thing I'd be thinking about would be me. Anybody else? How what? the? I got to get out of here as quick as I can. These circumstances, they are terrible. They are shocking. There's a a way out. I'm going to go for it. But Paul wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about the jailer and he was worried what his witness would look like. So he stayed. Did you get that? See, I love saying Jesus is Lord of my life. Do you? Oh, you're Lord of my life. Really? Really? Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Circumstances don't go the way I want. People do something to me. I allow that to rule over my life. You know, when you think about the queen, she reigns over England, over the UK. She has authority. People submit to her authority. They do what she says. So when Jesus says I'm to love my enemy, is he Lord of my life if I don't? When Jesus says forgive, so you shall be forgiven, is he still Lord of my life when I've been treated poorly or when my circumstances aren't going the way I want? Jesus, you're Lord of my life. But when somebody treats me poorly, you're not. Come on, you been there? I want to tell you something. In my own strength, I know I can't do this call that's on my life. I can't be this witness that Christ is calling me to be. I need his power. I can't do it. My flesh when I say my flesh, I'm not necessarily talking about skin. I'm talking about me born into sin. My flesh cries out. I am selfish and self-centered and I like things my own way. Anybody else? I need the power of God at work in me so I am not like that, so that I can love my enemy, so I can love those people that treat me poorly. I can't do it in my own strength. We need to get rid of this carpet. You know, I struggle with insecurities because of my past. I, struggle with, I have in the past struggled with my identity, who I am. And it's only been the power of God at work in me that's helped me to know that I am a child of God. And it doesn't matter what people say, think, or do. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I'm not getting up and saying, I'm better than everybody else and I don't care what you do. I'm getting up and saying, I know I'm just as bad as everybody else, but I choose to love you anyway. I know that I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit at work in me so that I can live this life where I say, Jesus is Lord of my life. So that when people look at my life, they would say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to become a Christian? What must I do to live a life like you're living? What must I do to have what you've got? We have a choice to make when we're treated poorly. We can choose to accept the power that's available to us to change us, or we can choose not to accept the power and stay the same. If I could have Roger Fredora, Fredera, Fredera. slide up. Who knows who Roger? Who knows who Roger Federer is? Like, listen to this. I've always questioned myself in the best of times. Even when I was world number one for many months in a row, what can I improve? What do I need to do to change? Just think about that. World number one, at the peak of his career, what can I improve? What do I need to do, need to change? If If you don't do anything or you just stay the same thing, do the same thing over and over again, you stay the same. Staying the same means what? Going backwards it's important for me to actually hear criticism. <laughs> I tell you, I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me when somebody criticizes me. Anybody with me? I don't take criticism well. Do I, Dylan? I don't. Do I, Jason? Helen, do I take criticism well? Oh, no, don't give her the mic. I need the Holy Spirit at work in me to help me when I'm being criticized. It's what makes me a better player. If Roger, Roger Frederick, the world number one tennis player, understands the importance of change and improvement so that he can be the very best at what he does, how much more important is it that we as Christ's witnesses need to understand the importance of change and improvement so that others will ask, what must I do to be saved? I don't want to live my life controlled by circumstances or what other people say or do to me. I don't want to be controlled by an injustice that perhaps happened 47 years ago. When I allow what other people say to me, it affects me. I'm actually letting that person become Lord over my life. Can you believe that, Michael, that we do that? How stupid can we be? How, how dumb is that? Here I am, 57 years of age, and I can remember something happened to me when I was 12, and if I allow that thing that happened to me when I was 12, it can control me today. That thing is Lord of my life, not Jesus. I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want what people say to me to control my emotions, my feelings, and my actions. You know, one of the major reasons we struggle with Jesus being Lord of our life is offence. When we take on an offence, we're allowing what that other person has said or done to rule over our lives. Is this making sense, Helen? Yes? Good. You can criticise. I'll give you permission. Two seconds. Steve Penny, I quoted this last time I preached, said this, the only thing that can destroy me are inside of me. People can't destroy me circumstances can't destroy me the only thing that can destroy me is what's inside me. you know when we take on an offense it destroys us from within we lose our peace we get angry we get bitter we go into rage we're frustrated you know if we're, if we're living a life of frustration there's stuff in there that's not being dealt with we want to we want to re, we want to take on a revenge we want to get back we want to control we want to manipulate Today, I want to help you live your life free of offense so that others will ask, what must I do to be saved? Today, I want to help you to live your life free of offense so that others will ask, what must I do to be saved? Do you want to live your life free of offense? Then make the choice now and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can live the life that Jesus has for you. To live our lives free of offense, we'll need to ask this question. What do I need to change? That's right. What do I need to change? Not what does Helen need to change? As much as I'd like it to be that. What do I need to change? It comes from within. It comes from within. Whatever's going on out there, no, it's what's happening in here. I'd love to change Helen. She's almost perfect, but there's just a couple of little tweaks that are needed. Is that okay, honey? Oh, you tell me I've got a couple of tweaks that need tweaking too. You Actually, you say I've got a multitude. No. I want to help you today. You know, if we can't get past this hurdle of what do I need to do, if we're going to continually to project blame, who knows what project blame means? Project blame is it's somebody else's fault. Not my fault. You made me angry. You made me bitter. You made me twisted. You made me this. You made me that. It's your fault. It's your fault, Jen. It's my teacher's fault that I can't read properly. It's that girl that teased me when I was 12 that I'm broken and hurt from inside. It's her fault that I'm like I am today. No! I'm not living there. I'm going to get the, powers, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me, so I'm not living my life there. I want to get past this hurdle and understand that my, my happiness from within is my responsibility, not anybody else's. Next slide. A person with good sense is patient. <laughs> don't laugh then, I don't. And it's to his credit that he overlooks an offense. That's in the Word of God. If it's in the Word of God, it must have some value to it, surely. I want to give you some helpful hints to overcome offense. Hint, helpful tips, sorry, not hints, helpful tips. First one, self talk. When you find yourself in the heat of the moment, ask the question why am I taking this personally? Does it really matter? Is it really such a big deal? Am I going to remember this in a year's time? That stuff that I was angry with about Helen a year ago, I can't even remember. Yet it got me really angry a year ago. Like, how stupid are we sometimes? Don't take it personally. Self-talk. It doesn't really matter. It's not such a big deal. Did the other person really mean it that way? Or is that other person working out of their own brokenness? Did they really want to hurt me? Number two, put yourself in their shoes. Learn to see something, someone from their perspective. After all, we all think we're right. You're sitting here this morning and you think you're right. So do I. What if you're not? But see, if we can put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, maybe we're not right, maybe they are. Just as I am on a journey, they are too on a journey. They too have been influenced by their past and by their upbringing. There's a very valid reason as to why they are like they are. I I call it this, take a helicopter ride. Pretend you're God in a helicopter and you're looking down at two people and you love them both the same. Does it matter who's right or wrong? No. What matters is that they're loving and caring and looking after each other. That's the plans and purposes of God. Not who's right, not who's wrong. Who's looking after who? Take a helicopter ride. See it from their perspective. Walk in their shoes. Oh, this is a good one. You ready for this one? This is a good one, Kate. Understand that your opinion is not your identity. All all too often... We offend easily because somebody else disagrees with us. We take it personally. It can feel like they're rejecting us, that we're not being valued. It can hurt. But a lot of the time, it's just an opinion. Now, I love Jason as a brother. But he's wrong when it comes to AFL and NRL. What do you call it up here? NRL. He's just plain wrong. Have we got any other Victorians here, please? Can I have some support? Yeah, thank you. AFL is better than NRL. Well, it is, it is. Sorry, church. I told you I wasn't perfect. But AFL is—it's better. It's a skilled. G- it's you've got to have more skills in AFL, Jason. You've got to have more skill in, in, in AFL. Like, it, it, like in a it's just British bulldogs. But was a kid, I played it. You know, you just run. It's a stupid game. And then they stop. Am I digging myself a big enough hole here? But see, it's only my opinion. And and I'm influenced by what happened to me, where I grew up, by my environment. You're getting the picture. It's only an opinion. It's not my identity. I love Pastor Warren. He's one of my mentors. I was in the car with him driving up from the airport, and we were talking about how the AFL has got two teams in Queensland. Have I told you this story? I may have. And I said, oh, I think it's silly that there's two teams in Queensland. They're they're indoctrinated with the NRL. They just love their NRL. It's just ridiculous. He goes, you're you're, you're an idiot, John. (laughs) John, I'm so glad that he called me an idiot that day. See, in the past, years ago, I wouldn't have said anything or done anything. I wouldn't have reacted, but I'd be hurt and broken on the inside, and you know what? My natural instinct would be well, um, thank you. You know, I'd just, you know, talk to Pastor Warren, but I'd stop calling him. I wouldn't allow him to be mentor in my, over my life anymore. I'd want to put distance between me and him because he hurt me. I know I'm not an idiot. It's an opinion. It's not my identity. Can I have Trevor up here, please? Where's Trevor? I want you to imagine that Trevor is little Johnny. And the reason I've called Trevor up here is because he's got stupid shorts on. (laughs) So imagine that this is little Johnny at 12 or 13 years of age, maybe even a little bit older. Little Johnny was struggling at school, struggled to learn, struggled with maths, still can't spell today. Thinking that I was a, a mistake, that there was something wrong with me, that I was faulty, and then the girl, little girl, fifteen years, girls I should say, you know, the in-group of girls. And I'm, I apologise. to There's nothing wrong with being the in or out. I'm just using this as an illustration. But the in-girls that I wanted validation from, that I wanted to know that I was okay, would come up. Ah, oh, look at your shorts! You got holes in your shorts. You're a dag. When you lie down at night, does your nose get snow on the end of it? Thank you, Thank you, Trevor. See, it's just an opinion. They're working out of their own brokenness. It's an opinion. It's not who I am. The clothes that I've got is not who I am. The car that I drive is not who I am. The house that I live in is not who I am. The job that I do is not who I am. I am a child of God. Doesn't matter if my shorts have got holes in them and I look like a dad. I look at all you young people with these rip shorts and I'm thinking, you idiots. <laughs> Get it? I, I, I say it out of love. <laughs> Next one practice humility. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 7, 21 to 22 in the English Standard Version says this, do not take heart, do not take to heart all the things that people say. At least you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. When somebody offends you, stop and think, well, I know I too have caused offence. Put the spotlight back on yourself. Take an honest look at how you have behaved at times. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. When you're tempted to be offended, say, well, I'm not perfect. And I've not always been poor, perfect towards others. Number, another one, be teachable. Like I said before, so often we want to defend our position. We want to be right no matter the cost. We hold fast to our position because of our, because of our past environment. And when we're challenged, we're stubborn because we don't like to admit that we could be wrong. What if the other person is right and you are wrong? Don't you treasure the truth more than being right? Surely your hunger after truth is e- it, even if it means that you have to admit that you are wrong. Overcome pride. Listen to this. Everything that happens is all about you and how it affects you. If this is where we're living our lives it's no wonder we're offended so often when it's all about me it's fertile so- when it's all about me it's fertile soil for frequently being offended when it's all about me it's fertile soil for frequently being offended every word every action or inaction all that is done or not done is all about me this load is far too big for any of us to carry Next one know your validation comes from God. Doesn't come from the opinions of others. Doesn't come from me. Doesn't come from your wife, doesn't come from your friend, it comes from God. Know that you are a child of God. What other when you know that you're a child of God, when you know that your validation, that your approval and your acceptance comes from God, what other people say or do loses its I could have the band up, please. Well, oh, two and a half minutes over. That's not bad, Jason. The best we- weapon, the best weapon to fight offense. Can you guess what it might be? Have anybody got a clue here? Forgiveness. Matthew 6:14 to 15, "If you forgive the failures of others, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your failures. Today I've shared about the power of our witness. When people witness your life, do they ask, what must I do to be saved? Or do they say, what must I do to stay away? My prayer, my hope is that you can see how important it is to allow the Holy Spirit to change and improve your witness so that other people will ask, what must I do to be saved? You know... I had to forgive all of those people, those girls back in 1970, whatever it was, so that I can stand here today and know that it has no power, no authority, nothing over my life. And there's been other stuff in my life. And it's not about wrong or right. If it was about wrong or right, this wouldn't work. It's got to be about forgiveness, no matter who's wrong or who's right. See, forgiveness is, it's not about what saying the other person did. When you forgive them, you're letting them get away with it. It's not about that. See, the only things that can ruin you come from within. Forgiveness is not saying that what they did is going to be let go of. It's not saying that, oh, well, they're not getting the punishment that they deserve. That's not what forgiveness is. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about healing from within. I want to heal from within. I'm going to let God deal with that person and what they did like he's going to deal with me. Forgiveness is saying I forgive you. It doesn't mean you have to go to that person and say, You did terrible things to me, Jason. I forgive you. No, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm encouraging you to heal from within. You don't even probably need to go to that other person. It's about you, it's about what's going on inside you, it's about healing from within. It's about not letting what other people have said or done to you over the years to have any impact, any say, any influence. It's about not letting them be Lord over your life today. Just close your eyes, if you would, please. Just pray with me. Father God, thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I choose to forgive. Father God, today, I choose to be a child of God. Today, I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Father God, today, I commit to walking out of this place different. I choose today to be your witness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.